Good morning, Graham Church. May I wish you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ a blessed 2023 year ahead. And I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 2 as we consider, thank you, this morning, the week after Christmas. Um, if you if you come sometimes to second service or watch the second service, I often sit there because my knees give out at that point. I've had three knee surgeries and kind of a bad car accident, and so that's why uh, at times you see me limping around, and this morning I'm um, going to try to stand for the second service, and we'll see how it goes sitting uh, for this first service. Now, uh, as Christians, we properly want to keep Christ in Christmas, and so we emphasize significantly leading up to Christmas, and during Christmas, Christ and uh, the events surrounding that. But um, I haven't often heard Bible studies done on the week after Christmas. And then something that's common among the people that Luke spotlights after the week after Christmas, the blessing of biblical meditation. So you'll see in your notes that we're going to look this morning at the obedience of Mary and Joseph, the response of an older man, Simeon, the thanksgiving of a very older widow, Anna, and what brought them all together in honoring God, what we would call biblical meditation. Now, the actual events of the Christmas story, there's more than this, of course, but beginning with the birth of Jesus and immediately led by the star, the shepherds and the angels came and worshipped. Then one week later, actually eight days later, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple on the eighth day, according to the law, to dedicate him to the Lord. It's only after that then that they uh, are actually in a house. They're no longer staying in a, a stable and uh, that's when the wise men come to visit them, and then they depart a different way because they know that Herod, Herod the crazy king, doesn't really want to worship. He wants to kill. There is then the flight to Egypt. I don't know if it was Allegiant or Delta or what, but um, God warned them. And then after some time, we're not told exactly the time, he, he returns. Uh, when it is safe, that that Herod is dead. That's why the prophet said, Out of Egypt have I called my son, referring to this event. So look with me in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read to begin with verses 21 through 24. Luke 2, 21. At the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male 
who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, so on the eighth day, according to what is said in uh, the Pentateuch or Mosaic law, specifically Leviticus, the parents of a newborn boy are to bring him to the temple and they are to circumcise him. Here's this strange but important characteristic of Hebrew people and the people of God, that that male organ, which is most sacred to God for procreation and for pleasure, uh, it is in a sense cut off and dedicated to God. Now it's interesting that after the birth of a baby, the mother was considered unclean for seven days, and she had to remain at home for 33 days. Let me clarify that that term unclean does not mean sinful. There's nothing sinful about appropriate intimacy between husband and wife. There's nothing sinful about the birth of a baby. Messy, painful, yes, predicted in Genesis. But the word unclean does not mean the same as sinful. It means that Mary was ceremonially unable to do things that normally were expected to her of her. Now listen to this, ladies. For these seven days and the additional 33 days, she was not expected to cook. Can, can one mother say amen? <laughs> she was not expected to clean. She would have other ladies that would come in the house and help her. She wasn't expected even to come to the temple or the court of women or Gentiles to worship. Unclean does not necessarily mean sinful in this case. It does mean that she was not expected to do that which normally was expected of her. It's interesting in Leviticus, it gives a different times that the woman is unclean uh, for the birth of a boy, a shorter time, and a longer time for the birth of a baby. I've had students that have asked me, so why? Well, first of all, sociologists have suggested that uh, sometimes young female babies actually profit from more bonding time with mom when she's not concerned about uh, cleaning or even uh, worshiping in the temple or cooking, etc. And plus, in the ancient world, uh, if a man had a son, he's very happy. If he has a girl, and this wasn't God's plan, this was just man's tradition, he might be unhappy and press the wife to have a child again sooner than she was ready. How kind of God to say to the man, give your wife a break. And uh, a break not only from intimacy, but from the cooking and the cleaning and all of that. Then, on the 40th day, a purification sacrifice was to be offered. For Mary and Joseph, it's the offering of a poor person. It's pigeons or a pair of turtle doves. It would be expected of a wealthy person to bring a ram or maybe even a, a bull or often a lamb without spot or blemish. But uh, Mary and Joseph, very 
poor, we guessed common, working people. The word carpenter can actually be translated building as what uh, the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ did. And so this was their offering. Now, what we read was just done in two parts. The first was called purification. You say, why would the Lord Jesus need to go through a rite of purification. Well, he was in every way like we are, yet without sin. But just like in his baptism, he presented to us obedience to the law. And as an example for us, his parents went through this rite of purification, the animal sacrifice. And then second was a dedication, where as a baby boy, in this case the first baby boy, he is taken and he is dedicated to the Lord. Why would a child need to symbolically uh, go through a rite of purification? Because we're all sinful by nature. And David said, Lord, even at birth, I was sinful. Now this is not... Um, politically correct as people say we're all good and we're just affected by our environment at times for bad but scripture teaches that we have sin and selfishness inherited from grandpa adam and grandma eve and uh, symbolically blood had to be shed to help provide purification christ goes through that then comes this public dedication, presentation, which introduces us to the worship of this dear old man and older lady, Simeon and Anna. But now let's first think what the scripture says, what's going on in the heart of Mary and Joseph? They've been blown away about six months or so earlier that the virgin would conceive and bear a son. Joseph, fear not to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Luke says he kept her a virgin until after the birth of Jesus. What's going on in their brain, in their heart? Well, the NIV says, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. New King James, same verse, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The provoking but good uh, contemporary paraphrase, the message says, but Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. That's a definition of biblical meditation. And that's exactly what the original language says that she did. Later on we read, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. He's going to be called Savior, Jesus, because he will deliver his people. He is met for the rise and the falling, the judgment of many. And Mary and Joseph are hearing angelic prophecies and they marvel now uh, years later when he was 12 years old and they'd taken him to the temple and he was teaching in the temple and his parents came and got him 
He said, did you not know I should be about my father's business? And then he submitted to Mary and Joseph. We read in Luke 2.51, Then he, Jesus, returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. We're going to emphasize in this message that for the year ahead, one of the most blessed things we can do is learn to meditate on the Word of God, to ponder it, to remember it, to simply think about it. And Mary and Joseph are such a wonderful example in this. And so, out of all the biblical disciplines of reading the Word and loving one another and forgiving one another and witnessing, etc., I'm going to suggest that this next year, our, our goal is to get in the Word, but more than that, let the Word get in us and to practice what we see here the week after Christmas, biblical meditation. All right, we come to this dear elderly man, Simeon. I begin reading at verses 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, that means the comfort, of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that's what we just read, uh, the cleansing and then the consecration, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and then you'll see in the Bible, the next few verses are indented because it's poetry or music. Say, here's a man that was ready to go home to heaven. And he says, now I'm at peace. For I know that the promise you made to me, Lord, has been fulfilled. I've actually seen the king in the form of a baby. And uh, he's ready to go. And he praises God for this. Well, Mary and Joseph are standing there wondering, who's this old dude that took my baby? And is proclaiming blessing over him. Verse 33. As his father and his mother marveled. There's another word for meditation. Marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Ah, you think of dear Mary. All her life she lives in the shadow of the rumor that she was an unfaithful, engaged wife. People scoffed at the virgin birth. Look at Mary 33 years later as she's at the cross. And there's her dear son, beaten. Bleeding from head to toe. As said the prophet, I gave my skin to those who hated me. See Mary standing there at the cross and it's as though a soul 
would pierce her heart as she thinks, he never did anyone wrong. And yet he's a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He never sinned, and yet he carries for us our sin. And um, this dear old man Simeon was a prophet in that God spoke through him. Now this is all we know about him in the Bible. He's a man that was meditating. He was thinking about the promises that God had given and he was waiting for the coming of Messiah, the promised one. And he's a man that was ready to go home to heaven. Hey, are you ready to go home to heaven? Amen. <laughs> Amen. You say, well, I got to enjoy my new car first. Uh, I got so much I got to do. Well, I understand the need to to set goals, but um, we ought to be ready and looking forward to going home to heaven. Uh, there are days that I feel like I'm close <laughs> and, and uh, getting ready to go home. But all of us ought to live, as James 1.12 says, in a blessed condition as we are waiting for the appearing of our Lord and Savior. Ah, uh, I like I like Simeon. And then we come to a really aged lady who had only been married for seven years, but then she'd been widowed for many, many decades. Her name is Anna, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We say, oh, all the time he's doing this, or all the time she's doing that. All the time Anna was dedicating her time to worship. She was a woman that God had chosen to speak through and was a prophetess in that case. And she worshiped God with fasting and with being a witness and again, meditating in her heart over what God had said to her and what God was going to do. Nancy and I were caregivers for her mother, who had MS for many years. And the time came some years ago that we had to move Gladys to 24-hour nursing care. And um, she said, so, so what do I do now? What am I good for? What do I do at this point in life? And uh, we have a sweet Christian relative who said, Oh, Gladys, you can pray. You can praise. You can remember God's goodness. And so uh, we and uh, this cousin of Nancy would bring prayer requests over to Gladys. And in her latter years, that was one of her activities, praying. My mother, uh, my father died very suddenly way back in 1976, and so uh, my mother was a widow for many years, 
more than she ever was uh, uh, married. Uh, I think I've shared with you my mother was the first person I ever baptized. And um, she later on went with the mission organization SEND to be a missionary in her retirement years. May I suggest to you that if you're an older person and you're despairing, what do I do? My body won't let me do what it used to. <laughs> Join the club. My mind doesn't allow me to remember all that I would like to you know, join the club. But look at the example of some people that really pleased God. As the activity of their life was thinking, meditating about truth. And out of that came other healthy activities. So here are people that Scripture emphasizes one week, eight days actually, after Jesus' birth, practicing some of the classic Christian disciplines, or we would say exercises. Scripture intake and meditation, prayer and worship, fasting and praise, witnessing and service to others. Just a few of the things that God invites us to do. But I, I really feel that God would have me say to you, and I've been praying about this for several weeks, that one of the goals that we need to be involved in in the year ahead is biblical meditation. And so I want to do this second half of the sermon on, on the blessing of biblical meditation. So this is kind of like the halfway point, the intermission, but you don't get to have popcorn or anything. So take the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. You probably well know Psalm 1. I hope that you've memorized it or that you will. You say, oh, Jim, I just, at this point in my life, I just can't memorize anymore. Let me suggest that if you take Psalm 1, six verses, and for the next 30 days of January, you read it out loud five times a day. It only takes about a minute to read it. You read it out loud five times a day for 30 days, most of you will have it memorized. It's the first passage after I became a Christian. Uh, first chapter that I ever memorized. I wrote it out and put it underneath my dormitory bunk bed at Eastern Michigan University and would go to sleep at night reading it. And I'm so grateful for the promise that God gives that there will be success following the boy, the girl, the woman, the man, who meditates. Blessed is the one who departs from the way of evil, who, who does not stand in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in his season. Now get this promise. And whatever he does shall prosper. The Amplified Version defines blessed as happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable. When Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, 
you're going to see God. Blessed are you when people shall mistreat you, revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil about you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, great is your reward in heaven. And Jesus often used this phrase to talk about the advantages of following hard after Christ. Of course, when the Bible says blessed is the man, in this case it's referring to the person, man, woman, boy, or girl. Um, Sometimes the Bible is very gender specific and we should not call God our father, mother, as some have done, because he is called our father who is in heaven. But ladies, never think that um, you're being somehow neglected or made second-class citizens when it does, as ancient liter usually does, uses the male term, blessed is the man. Not wrong to translate that. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the way of the wicked. That is, who does not live in the way of the wicked or in the counsel, that is, the influence of the ungodly. So what is your main source of counsel? Surveys continually tell us that young people have far more influence from media than parents, teachers, preachers, wholesome books, combined. And uh, we, we need to filter that which influences our mind. We, we are to avoid the influence of the wicked, the ungodly. And then it says, blessed is the person um, who refuses to stand. The language means submissive and inactivity in the way of sinners. Do you monitor what you watch on your TV? Do you monitor what you read? Most challenging of all, do you monitor those thoughts that tend to be repetitious in your mind? And so you've been hurt, and you put your head on your pillow, and you think about, oh, I'd like him to get his. Well, there's the temptation of lust, or wrong pride. God says, blessed are those who are not being submissive to the way of sinners. Or sit in the seat of mockers. The mockers are those who ridicule God and they defiantly reject his law. I'm currently talking to someone, I'm witnessing to him, and he just, he just mocks God. Kind of sends chills down my spine to hear him speak uh, so terribly of sacred things and say, I don't, I don't need that. Now, I'm going to continue to love him and be patient with him, but I do fear for his soul as a mocker. All right, verse 2 says, uh, part 2, what we just read was the way of the uh, godly, part 1. Here's the way of the godly, part 2. But his delight, that is his desire, is in the law of the Lord. What we would say today, the word, the scripture. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So let's stop right now and consider the high priority of proper meditation. I believe it was Noah Webster of the Webster's Dictionary fame who said, our life is the sum 
of the dominant thoughts of our mind. Whoa. Um, the Word of God says, as you think in your heart, so you are. It says, guard your heart, for out of the heart are the very issues of life. And so if we want God's blessing, which He promises here, we have to take our thoughts and turn them towards that which is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, praiseworthy, rather than what our wicked mind wants to naturally gravitate to. So, biblical meditation. I have right now a book on uh, why Buddhism is true. By the way, Buddhism is not true. Christianity is true. But it's, it's all about the Eastern form of mystical meditation, which basically means you empty your mind out. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is that you fill your mind and put in it that which is, Philippians 4, 8, good, true, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy. There is a unique medical condition, you're probably aware of it, in which a very small minority of our population have to take certain enzymes and other supplements because their body does not digest food as God designed it to. It's called malabsorption. So you can eat and enjoy and eat and enjoy but not have the benefits of the nutrients because of malabsorption. I fear that some Christians hear the word, are under the word, but do not stop to meditate on the word, to think so that they can absorb the benefit of the word. I love Sunday mornings coming over. I listen to, to scripture and then as I get closer here, as I get to Lansing, I, I usually a few minutes before I get here, I turn on Family Life Radio and listen to some of the praise music. And this morning, I just felt compelled to turn it off and sit in silence and to try to think. That is a synonym for meditation. Think on Scripture. Now, um, you helped me out here this morning. David said, I will meditate on your precepts. I will consider your ways. You've heard sermons on this before. You've studied it before. Some of you probably do it very well. What are some other words, synonyms for the, the concept of meditation? What's one? Chew. Chew. I like that. Chew. Good. Concentrate. Dwell, that's a great word. Dwell. We've already mentioned the word think. Think on these things. Paul said to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead according to my... Remember is another word for meditation. Think of some others. Absorb. Excellent. Yeah, often when we talk about meditation, 
we, we use these Bible words, ponder. I realize that's not a word we use a whole lot anymore, but to, to ponder, you know, to think about, to think on, to dwell on, to ruminate. That's a good old cow term, right? You know, so here's the cow taking green grass, taking it through, what is it, the seven chambers of a cow's stomach. That's uh, physical meditation, absorption, and then producing chocolate milk or whatever <laughs> clover she's been eating. Ruminate, consider, it's all of these synonyms for meditation. All right, there is the way of the blessing, and here's a promise associated with departing from evil and meditating on truth. Now this is Proverbs 1, uh, excuse me, Psalm 1-3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Now we, we live in the great late state. Uh, Michigan tourists tell us you can never be more than something like 10 or 12 miles from a lake. We have the Great Lakes. We have the blessing of water. Not so in most of the Middle East. You know that if you travel to Syria or Iran or Iraq, uh, don't, by the way, right now. But even Israel, with the exception of a stretch of river called Jordan that goes from the Sea of Galilee called Lake Gennesaret and winds its way down to the Dead Sea. It's a pretty barren, dry place. And um, I wonder if when God inspired David to write this introductory chapter to the book of Psalms, if people's minds couldn't really identify the blessing of having water. See a little boy out by his desert home and he's got a little he's got a little skin bag with precious water that he, he puts every day on that little plant that he's cultivating. It's life or it's death. Depends on whether it's going to get water. God said, the Christian who tries to depart from evil, we don't all do that perfectly, but we try, and then who meditates will be like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in a season. Its leaf does not wither. Now get this. Here is a statement in the Bible that says, whatever he does prospers. I have a few godly friends. Seems like whatever they touch, God blesses. Their family, their finance, their witness, their struggle with temptation. And in every case, they are men or women that ponder, dwell on, think on. They meditate on the promises of God. Whatever he does, prosper. Now, this reminds us, and here's, this is how we're going to close in five minutes, that when Joshua 
was taking the people into a new year, so to speak. Forty years in the wilderness, but now they're going into the promised land. What does God say to Joshua? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Okay, either the Bible's true or it's not. Either it's a foolish fantasy or it is holy scripture from God. And here's two places in the Word of God that says, as a result of attempting to depart from evil and meditating on the Word, you will be prosperous in what you do. You will be successful. That's, that's pretty powerful stuff. So what we've seen in Psalm 1 is the way of the blessed, the way that Mary and Joseph, the way that Simeon and Anna conducted their life by meditating and thinking through godly things. But this, this psalm concludes by the way of the ungodly. It says, not so the wicked. That is, those who are disobedient without God. They're like chaff, worthless, dead, without substance, that the wind blows away. The NIV Study Bible footnote says, chaff is carried away by the lightest wind, its removal brings about cleansing by extracting what is utterly useless. What, what good is the empty hull or the chaff of the wheat or the grain? Good Nothing but to be burned that I, I know of. It's, it's a picture of the ungodly. Now, one of my favorite set of verses, maybe you've never heard, but you want to write down the reference. It's not in your notes, but you might want to write down so you can go back and look at Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. It's a wonderful parallel passage to Psalm 1. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of doubt and never fails to bear fruit. Oh, thank you, Prophet Jeremiah, for giving us a commentary in your book on the blessings of being in the Word and the blessing of meditation. Oh, Mary and Joseph, a tough life of being misunderstood, but oh, their thoughts were precious to God. Dear Anna, how long a widow, but her thoughts were precious to God. Simeon, this elderly man who says, now I've seen the Christ, I'm ready to go. Are you ready 
to go. I want you to understand that if you have a, a Bible with a map in the back of it, you see Israel in that map, and it's mostly brown. If we were to fly over Israel, we'd, we'd come in uh, from the west, and, and uh, we'd fly over where there's great terrorism and war right now, but it, it's dry. But then in a few minutes, we would jet over what's called the Jordan Rift, the Jordan Valley. This is the river that our Lord Jesus was baptized in. And the Sea of Galilee, really a, a small lake by Michigan, Great Lake standards, it's fresh. I love to go to the Sea of Galilee because there's palm trees and there's branches and all along the banks of the meandering Jordan River, it's full of life. And then if we were flying quickly over that, then once again, we'd hit the western, uh, rather the eastern bank, and it's dry. And we're into Jordan and Syria and places that look like a desert. What's the difference? Water. And so the presence of water, like meditation, brings life. It makes all the difference in the land of Israel and in the life of a Christian in 2024. So this psalm gives us the way of the godly, the way of the ungodly. Now here's the parting of the ways. Therefore the wicked will not stand justified in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches. This Hebrew phrase means he knows. He's fully acquainted when he watches over us. Over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I think of this unsaved guy I've been witnessing to, and I've tried to share with him. He doesn't like it, but I've tried to share with him. Proverbs eleven seven: when a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. This guy has said to me, I got a lot of years left, Jim. I got this and this and this. And I'm saying, what you need is Christ. So that you can be like Simeon. I'm ready to go home. Well, there's John 3.16, but let me close again with the thought that we're on the brink of a new year. Pastor Mike has been in heaven now. 14 months. Imagine that. God came to Joshua and said, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is, is dead. He's gone. But now I want you to lead the people forward into a new land, in a new start, and this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But meditate it in, in it day and night. There you shall be prosperous, and there you will have good success. Whether you follow the recommended reading schedule from Graham or you have your own reading schedule or listening to the word schedule, I would encourage you to get in the word but then take time to go back and think over what you've read and heard. I like to take January every year and read through Proverbs. Just one chapter a day for 31 days, 
I would recommend it to people to, to, to read Proverbs. But there's so much there. Boom, 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 boom. To stop and to think. So it doesn't just go through us. And that's the blessing of the book. And the blessing of the book being in us. Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord. And maybe as a result of this study on meditation, you feel Holy Spirit guilt that you've not done very well in meditating. So you might want to ask the Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me, Lord, for the lack of discipline in my thoughts and in my mind? Maybe you want to do that before the Lord right now. Then would you ask God, I'm asking God for this this year. Would you ask God, Lord, help me to meditate. Lord, help me to meditate and be blessed in what I do. And so, Father, at the brink of a brand new year, please help us to do this that which is priority. To read your truth, to hear your truth, and to meditate on your truth. Please, in Jesus' name, amen.